what God is doing around here. And uh, good to be back with you. Our family had a little vacation. I'll tell you about it. Uh, but so excited. We have so many things going on. Uh, baptism by the Bay is going to be incredible. Uh, and by the time many of you um, watch this message uh, at one of our campuses, we will we'll have already uh, prayed through the night. Uh, an all-night prayer meeting that kicks off a 40-day freedom fast, and I want to encourage you to uh, jump in. Uh, what we're doing is just identifying things in our lives that could be controlling or that might master us, and we're saying that we're only going to be mastered by the Holy Spirit. And uh, one of the ways that you do that is you identify things that, that uh, you need to give up. And uh, with the Holy Spirit's help, uh, we're going to go into this 40 days of fasting and believe that God's going to do some great things. Uh, and then this weekend, uh, it was awesome. So many NCCers got out and served, uh, including the People's Church as they get situated in their new property. And uh, my 10-year-old Josiah was out there serving with his uh, sleeves rolled up. Pretty cool uh, about uh, uh, just to see what the Lord is doing. Well, this weekend we continue More Than Conquerors. If you have a Bible, you can turn over to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And uh, last weekend, Pastor Joel uh, shared uh, out of Romans 8, 18 through 23. Next weekend, Dick Foth is in the house. You don't want to miss it. Uh, he's going to be talking about Romans 8, 24 through 26. And uh, this weekend, we're going to double back to Romans 8, 14 through 17. I, I don't want to skip over that little piece of this passage. Uh, Romans 8, 14 through 17. You guys ready? Yeah. Let's do it. Here we go. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you receive God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. Now we call Him Abba Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Uh, I love getting older. Getting older is awesome. In fact, I feel bad. For those of you who are young, <laughs> let me tell you why. Because the older I get, the more of God's faithfulness I experience. God becomes more, so much more real. It's like the accumulation of God's faithfulness that fuels my faith to believe him, uh, that he's in control. And, uh, and so uh, I love getting older, and uh, I love sometimes walking down memory lane. Now, I did that about 10 days ago. Our family flew back to Chicago, where I'm from, and we visited Naperville, uh, which is my hometown, and our kids endured an onslaught of memories. Bless their hearts. They took it on the chin, as Laura and I shared. Uh, it's like every street corner, every building, old houses, old, old school, the whole thing was just like a thousand flashbacks. Now, this is really bad to do, to come back from vacation and share some pictures with you. But can I do that? I, mean, I just thought, I don't know, like I'd be interested in seeing what house you grew up in. I don't know if you care about what house I grew up in, but I think we got a picture of it. There it is. 
uh, right there on on uh, 1017 Bay Hill uh, in Naperville, right out of, off of uh, route uh, off of uh, 75th Street, and then we went and checked out Laura's house. The window was open. It was vacant. Is that trespassing? I don't know if that is or not. Um, and then I went back and we visited my old junior high school and I brought back a little proof. Can we show you this one? I don't know if you can see that name right there, but, uh, my friends, that's a 28 year old track record that still stands (laughs) four by 100 meter relay. So we just kind of, we saw the old school, the old house, uh, and then we went downtown Chicago and we hopped on uh, the uh, architectural boat tour. Now what's cool about this is the last time I took a boat tour would have been uh, about 21 years ago uh, when I took Laura on a boat ride, but she didn't know what she was getting into because that's where I gave her a ring and popped a question. And so it's so cool to go back and kind of relive some of those memories. Not, uh, not all of them were great memories. We went by Edwards Hospital. Uh, cumulative total, I probably spent several months in that hospital, in ICU for a wide variety of things, most of them asthma related. So some painful memories, but all of them collectively. You guys, what I'm trying to say is by the time, uh, at the end of the day, as Laura and I were just reminiscing, it just felt like God was screaming at the top of his voice, I'm faithful. And I think about all the places I've been, the different things that have happened in my life, And uh, all I know is that God is faithful. Here's what I believe. I'm not wandering, kind of finding my own way, doing my own thing. Here's what I believe. I believe that God himself in the form of the Holy Spirit is leading me. That's awesome. If you are living your life in any other way, I want to tell you something. God has plans and purposes for you. Now, he's given us the word of God, which is like a map. He's given us a conscience, which is like an internal compass, if you will. But he's also given us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's job is to lead us to places where he wants us to go. And that's what it says in verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Now, let's talk about this a little bit. The word led, interesting word. It is not a passive word. Uh, it's a word that's incredibly active. It, it means to contend for a prize, to struggle, to compete in a game, uh, to fight for something. I, I think maybe a way to think about it with the Olympics right around the corner is that uh, athletes are striving, fighting, contending, competing, struggling, training for four years for, for like one moment to maybe win that medal for their country. In the same way, uh, the Holy Spirit is contending for us. Now, Dick Foth is going to talk about this next week, and so I'm going to leave that for him, but it's the Holy Spirit's job to lead us. Let me try to uh, put this into a little bit of perspective. Uh, A few years ago, Parker and I uh, hiked the Inca Trail to Machu Picchu. 
Uh, anybody ever done the hike? Uh, let me see here. Uh, man, it, it was an incredible four day. Uh, I think it was about 38 miles, give or take, by the time we reached Machu Picchu. And uh, it, it was uh, it was a challenge for sure. Um, now, before we signed up for the trip, they gave us the option of hiring a porter. Can I just say that probably one of the best investments I've ever made in my life was the $20 per day for a Peruvian porter to carry my gear. <laughs> there, there is a time to rough it, and then there's a time not to rough it, and let someone else carry a little bit of your load. And, uh, and so it was a pretty cool deal. I mean, these, these porters were incredible. Uh, they would serve us tea uh, at about 5 o'clock in the morning. We kind of wake up, and they'd already brewed this Peruvian tea. I didn't ask what was in it, but quite a jolt of energy after drinking it. And uh, we'd get up, and they had breakfast served, and so we would eat the breakfast they prepared, and then we would begin our hike. Meanwhile, they would stay behind, and they would pack up our campsites, clean up breakfast, and usually a few miles down the path uh, after they had packed up the camp. See, because we were hiking. I don't know what they were doing. They were running, I think. They were like half human, half mountain goat, as they would just literally, on these narrow ledges, just run right by us. Why? Because they had to get uh, ready for lunch. And so by the time we got to the spot, they had already set it up, and then they'd clean up lunch, they'd get ahead of us again, and voila, dinner was set up, our campsite was prepared for us, and we would just kind of crash at the end of the day, and it would start all over again. Here's what I'm trying to say. Holy Spirit is like our Peruvian porter. You know what? The word here is not a travel agent. This isn't someone that creates an itinerary or gives you a map and says, you know, bon voyage. No, this is a tour guide. This is someone that goes with you. The Holy Spirit is with us. In fact, uh, Jesus said, I've, I've got to leave so that the Holy Spirit can come. And the Holy Spirit's job is to lead us. Now, let me maybe put it in parental terms. Two weeks ago, my oldest son got his driver's permit. You've been warned. The streets just got a little bit more dangerous. And so uh, he's been driving a little bit. Now, I'm kind of letting him drive in the country first before he drives in the city too much. But it's been an interesting experience because I kind of do what I do unconsciously. Like, I don't really think about it. Like, you just kind of been driving for a long time. But as I find myself, you know, seated next to him, you know, in fear for my life, uh, I find myself giving instructions like, you know, check your mirrors, um, you know, make, make sure it's in the right gear. Hey, you know, make sure that foot's ready to get on the brake. Uh, and then little things like, you know, changing lanes, like you don't have to brake when you change lanes on the highway. You just kind of keep going. And then when you get off the ramp, like, and you see an 18 wheeler coming, you need to step on it, son. <laughs> like you need to give that thing some gas and, uh, and of course, yellow means hurry up, you can make it. No, 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 no. Not anymore. Not as long as my son is driving. Um, I'm kid like, slow down, speed up, 
Look out, it has been the most active experience of my life. Now, who's driving? Well, technically, Parker's in the driver's seat. He's the one that's kind of making things happen. But, oh, man, he has got a backseat driver right here who is ready to kind of help him. Now, is he going to make a few mistakes? Well, yeah, he's already jumped a curb or two. (laughs) But it's part of the process. I think the Holy Spirit plays a very similar role in our lives. The Holy Spirit leads us, guides us, directs us. Now, I kind of like this. Ephesians 2 says that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works prepared for us in advance. Now, the word prepared there is an oriental term that was used to describe servants who would go in front of a a king and sort of prepare a path, if you will. Uh, Almost like secret service might go and prepare an event for the president. Uh, They would go and ensure safe passage and make sure that, you know, the road was drivable or passable. Well, what I love about this is that God... uh, flips it, and now the king of kings goes in front of his servants to prepare the road ahead. How awesome is that, to to know and to live with a sense of destiny because you know that the Holy Spirit is preparing things for you. Now, I'll talk about this in a couple of weeks, but the word predestination, oh, it's kind of this loaded theological word, and I think some people then kind of go into this passive mode of, well, if it's already predetermined or predestined, you know, then what difference does it make? And, and we'll talk through some of those issues, but let me just say this while we're on the subject. I don't think that your destiny has as much to do with where you're going or what you're doing as it does with who you're becoming. In fact, the word predestined in Romans 8, 29, we are predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And so it's about becoming more and more like him. So the spirit of God leads the children of God, and it continues. You received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now, many of us have heard this before, and so this to us might be, you know, familiar language, but you need to understand that this letter that was written to the Romans, it it would have struck them in a totally different way because the idea of thinking of God as Father was foreign to them, and I'll talk more about that, but this idea of adoption had special significance in Roman culture because it was such a complicated thing. Here's what I'm trying to say. If we're going to appreciate our adoption as children of God, then it might help to know a little bit about Roman adoption. So here's the deal. Uh, It's not insignificant that in Roman culture, uh, it was a patriarchal society. Patria potestis, the father had supreme power over his family, absolute authority. No, no matter how old that child got, even as a grown adult, there was this idea that as long as there was a father, that father was the authority figure. Uh, this is what made adoption an incredibly serious, difficult, and complicated thing because you were passing from one patria potestis to another. Now track with me for just a minute. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down. Uh, There were a couple of steps. The first 
step was monopatio, which was carried out as a symbolic sale, and it was done three times, and this is kind of intriguing to me. Uh, copper and scales were used. Uh, two times, uh, there was a sale and a purchase back, but on the third time, there was a sale and no purchase back, so it symbolized kind of this releasing or letting go of a child and releasing them from a family, and, and then the second step uh, was a vindicatio, which is uh, where the new father would literally go to a Roman magistrate and present a legal case for the transference uh, of, of that, adopt, that child uh, being transferred into a new family. Well, the consequences of adoption are what's probably most significant and what was probably in Paul's mind as he shared this. Here are the four main things that adoption represented in that culture. Number one, the adopted person lost all rights in their old family and gained all the rights uh, of a legitimate son, biological son, in the new family. In the most binding legal way, he literally got a new father. Now, secondly, he or she became heir to that new father's estate. Even, even as sons were born uh, afterwards, biological sons, it didn't affect his rights. He was an inalienable co-heir with them. Third, in law, the old life of the adopted person was completely wiped out. And this is what's fascinating. Uh, all debts were canceled. It's almost like that person didn't exist previously. He was regarded as a new person entering into a new life, almost like they were born or born again. New life, past had nothing to do with it. And finally, number four, in the eyes of the law, he was absolutely the son of his new father. Complete uh, son with all rights. Roman history uh, has an interesting example. Uh, Emperor Claudius adopted Nero. I don't know if you know this from your Roman history. Uh, was not a biological blood relation, um, but became emperor because he was a full-fledged son once the adoption process was completed. All right, can you handle one more footnote? Can you stick with me for one more? Uh, here it is. Uh, the Roman adoption ceremony was carried out in the presence of seven witnesses. So, if the father died and could no longer attest to the adoption of his son or daughter, and there was any dispute about the right of that adopted son to inherit, one or more of the seven witnesses simply had to step Forward and swear that the adoption was genuine. The, the right of the adopted person was guaranteed by the full authority of the Roman government. Now, forgive me for this, but every once in a while, you come across something that you've never really noticed before. I always wrestle a little bit with the description in Romans 3 about the Holy Spirit. You, you remember how the Holy Spirit is referenced there as the sevenfold spirit? Now, I don't want to, listen, scholars still debate that, and they're going to debate it until Jesus returns. We're not entirely sure exactly what that means. There's a little bit of mystery to it, and there should be. Should there not? Why? Because he's God. 
So it should be mysterious, but I think it's interesting that we have a sevenfold witness in the Holy Spirit, and that's the job. It says that the, you receive God's Spirit when He adopted you, and it's the Spirit that affirms or testifies to our spirit that we are the children of God. Well, the implications are pretty profound. John 1, 9 says, To as many as have received him, to them he gave the power to become children of God. Well, what happens when we are adopted by our Heavenly Father? Well, everything that's described here, we come under the full authority of our Heavenly Father. As children, we become heirs of all that is his co-heirs with Christ. Um, our old life is, is forgotten. It's past that has no authority over us, and we step into a new relationship with God as our heavenly Father. And it says, now we call him Abba Father. Now, in the Old Testament, word Abba, uh, or God being referred to as Abba or Father, uh, does occur 15 times. But never once is there an instance of God being addressed as father in prayer. And this is significant because God wasn't seen in this way. I mean, when, when Jesus introduced this idea and, and spoke with such familiarity about his father, uh, it was a, a paradigm shift for everybody uh, that heard it. And, and it was just this kind of disjointed thing that took some getting used to. Let me put it in practical terms. Um, I, I had uh, a wonderful father-in-law that uh, planted and pastored a church in Naperville uh, for more than 30 years. Bob Schmidgall was his name. And our family started attending that church uh, when I was a kid. In fact, I think I maybe shared with the, this with you one time, but um, remember I referenced Edwards Hospital where I sent, spent several months. One of those instances, it was code blue. Uh, there were about six doctors and nurses. I thought I was taking my last breath, and my parents called uh, our pastor, Bob Schmigo. I was 13 years old, and you know what? Huge church. I mean, thousands of people, uh, huge staff. He could have called someone else, or he could have said, I'll be there in the morning. And I remember him showing up in 10 minutes and uh, praying for me. And uh, what, a, what a powerful thing. You never know who you're praying for. He had no idea he was praying for his future son-in-law. He had no idea that he was praying for a 13-year-old kid that would give him his first grandchild. And uh, so, you know, I had such supreme respect for him. He was a large man, too, a little bit intimidating. Um, and, and I always called him pastor. I mean, that's kind of in my mind. That's who he was. That's, that's what he was. And, and then I fell in love with his daughter. And I already told you about the, the uh, little engagement thing on the boat ride. Remember that? Um, and, but here's what happened about a week before that. I went into his office to ask him if I could marry his daughter. Would you like to know what he said? He didn't say yes. He didn't say no either. He said, let me pray about it. <laughs> oh, I walked in holiness that next week. It was unreal. It was the fear of God. Um, and then he forgot to get back with me. 
And my mother-in-law, bless her heart, was like, Bob, you need to follow up with Mark. You need to give him a nod or give him something. And, uh, of course, he said, uh, he said yes, and then we got engaged, and then we got married. But here's the deal. I don't know. I'm kind of letting you into my family uh, right now, if that's okay. Um, he didn't tell me what he wanted me to call him. Bless his heart. I think I'm going to let my, my uh, future son-in-law, daughter-in-law off the hook and maybe just tell him, just call me dad. Because he didn't tell me that up front. Like, I, like I didn't know if that was, a, like, I, I didn't even know what to call him anymore. It was like weird calling him pastor because he's my father-in-law. But, but then it was kind of weird calling him dad. It did, just didn't, dad. Like, it just didn't fit yet. Like, are you tracking with me? Is anybody in here married with in-laws? Um, it, it, and so the worst thing was, like, phone calls. <laughs> because it was like, who? And, and, it set, and it felt weird. Sometimes I would just, like, force myself. Hey, Dad, it's Mark. And sometimes it would just be, sometimes I just couldn't do it. It was just the elongated, hey. <laughs> It's Mark. Like, it was awkward, you guys. And it took like about a year, a year and a half for me to finally get comfortable and finally realize, man, I have another dad. I got two dads now. This is awesome. And just kind of the comfort level. And But listen, here's the deal. When we are adopted as God's children, it's like God says, you can call me dad. Do we realize that? We don't have the, 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 it, it, we are not slaves, it says. We are sons and daughters. We have that spirit of a child as it relates to a father. No instance in Jewish prayer literature of the word Abba being addressed to God. Uh, now, this is kind of interesting, however. Uh, the only instance in all Jewish literature, not in the Old Testament, but beyond that, in the Talmud and other collections of, of Jewish history and sayings, there, there's one instance where God is referred to as Abba, but not directly. But what I love about this, you guys are going to love this. This is so cool. It's the grandson of Honey the Circle Maker. I kid you not. Um, it's his grandson, and I actually knew this, and then then it you know remembered it. Uh, Hanan Haniba, this is unreal. I don't know if it was like a faith gene that passed on from generation to generation, but Honey's grandson was famous for praying for rain. I, it's there, uh, I promise you. It's validated historically, and uh, and so uh, teachers used to send school children to seek him out, to pray for them. And here's what Hanan, Honey's grandson, would say. And this is so fascinating. Uh, he would say in prayer to God, he wouldn't reference him as Abba directly, but here's what he said. Master of the world, grant the rain for the sake of these who are not yet able to distinguish. Are you ready? Between an Abba who has the power to give rain and an Abba who does not. I I don't know. That kind of sounds like my dad can beat up your dad kind of language, you know? This idea that our Abba, our Father, he's strong, he's 
powerful. Children need that. Listen, that's one reason why we're crossing this river with reckless abandon, the Anacostia. We're going after South East because one of the biggest issues there is fatherlessness. Well, how are kids going to know how to relate to a heavenly father if they don't even have an earthly father? And so we need to go and help be a part of some of the solution to some of the issues that are there. Like, I don't know whether you had a great dad, a, a, a father that was absent, maybe one that didn't reflect who the heavenly father is. All, all I know is this, is I'm grateful that we do have a heavenly father who is loving. He has adopted us as his children. And you know what? This word Abba, okay, it's like an exclamatory expression in the Hebrew language. So it's almost like the moment you walk in the door and your kids might yell, Dad, like real loud or something else. In, in our family, I love it. Um, my kids sometimes call me Pops. And uh, every once in a while, Daddy-o. And uh, I, I love it because those are terms of familiarity, of intimacy. Just as my wife and I, there are certain, you better, there are certain things you better not call her. But I can because I love her, because we've been married 20 years, because we are husband and wife. And just as there are certain words that we use to communicate to each other or to children in a family sense, it's almost like God says, welcome to the family. You can call me dad. You can refer to me as Abba. It's an awesome thing, and it's something that was a total shock to the Jewish and the Roman mind. And so Jesus takes us to a new place in relationship with God that is so different than anything that preceded it. I think some of us still need that paradigm shift. Some of us still, man, every once in a while, how, how do you refer to God in prayer? By the way, I think these names and words are significant. I think it's important. Do you know that there are more than 400 names for God in Scripture? And each one of them reveals the different dimension of who God is, his power, his grace, his love. Now, I think it's important that we understand, uh, well, the Holy Spirit, since we're talking about it, paraclete. I mean, that can mean counselor, but it's also a term that was taken from Roman military where two soldiers would stand back to back, cover each other's back in a sense, and, and uh, be each other's rear guard, if you will, so that they could engage the enemy on one side. Well, in a very real sense, the Holy Spirit is our rear guard. Like, he's got your back covered. See, we need to understand these different dimensions of who God is, but I think paramount is this idea that he is father. Is he creator? Yes. Is he savior? Yes. Is he Lord? Yes. Is he Jesus? Yes. But we have a heavenly father. Let me show you one last picture. And uh, I couldn't help but think about this. Um, as I was preparing for this message in 1962, uh, there was a, a pretty famous picture taken. Uh, you'll see it in the Oval Office. There's uh, President Kennedy and Caroline and John Jr. kind of romping around the, uh, the Oval Office. Um, and, and what's interesting is that I think, if, uh, if my background checks are complete, I think this was even happening right around the Cuban Missile Crisis, which is, I, I think, 
uh, interesting as well because here he is, the president of the United States. Um, but you know what? In this moment, he's not, is he? He's a father to two little kids. And the two little kids, do, they, do you think they call them president? The only time my kids call me pastor is when they need to get my attention. <laughs> Otherwise, it's dad, you know? And so I think this is a picture kind of of our relationship with God. Listen, uh, is God omnipotent, omniscient? He is all of those things, but he wants to be our father. I'm going to close with this. It's really hard because... I don't think this is a message that, that you can get just by listening to me. Um, I don't think it's something that is to be intellectually processed as much as just experience in the full weight of the true reality of what I'm trying to say that, uh, that God is now our Father. If we have put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and we follow Him, then we have a Heavenly Father because we've been adopted into His family. I think I've learned more about God from being a father to three children than uh, a lot of years and a lot of money invested in seminary. Now, you know what? I wouldn't trade. Uh, all of those seminary classes. I enjoyed it. I, I loved it. But I, I've said this before. I don't think you get a testimony in seminary. I think you get a testimony by following Jesus and taking one step of obedience, one step of faith at a time. And the truth is, I don't think it was until I became a father that I really understood how God not just thought about me, but probably felt about me. So this last week, we're at the beach. I love the beach. Um, we started going every year. It became our traditional vacation, the year that Josiah was born. So it's like a milestone, memories, traditions. And every year, there's kind of a flood of, oh, remember the year that, you know, we caught all of those butterflies or the year that, um, you know, we discovered this restaurant or did this or that. Or, and uh, one morning I got up and just took a long walk down the beach. And I love walking down the beach because it leaves your footprints in the sand, right? And eventually they're going to get washed away. But I just felt such a, again, coming off of our trip to Chicago, such a profound sense of God's faithfulness that he's ordering my footsteps. And at one moment, um, we were all playing in the waves. And they were massive on Wednesday. These monster waves were coming in and beating us up. I think I got a little bit of whiplash. And it was incredible. And I saw Summer. And she uh, was standing with her little cousin, uh, my niece, Ella. And as the waves came in, I saw her grab Ella's arms and lift her over the wave. Summer's 15 as of yesterday. I can't lift her and she won't let me anymore. <laughs> I went back and sat down. I was like, 
I swear I was lifting her over waves yesterday. I love my little girl. Precious to me. And she will always be the little girl that I lift over the ways. I don't care how old she gets. And she used to have this speech deal that we had to work through that she said words really cute. And I knew eventually it'd probably be good for her to get over some of those pronunciations so she wouldn't get made fun of. But those are the ones that as parents you love that you kind of wish they would keep saying certain words the wrong way. You know what I'm talking about? And she couldn't say girl. She, she would say girl. So we had this little thing that every once in a while, I'll just say, my little girl. And there's just kind of this moment. You know what? I love pastoring this church. I love being a husband and my wife. I love writing books here and there. I don't know. I guess I wear a few different hats, and there are some things that are important to me. But, oh, man, if you, if you said what... What's deep down in the very bottom of your heart, you guys, I love my kids like nothing else, and I can't describe it. I can't put it into words. It's embarrassing a little bit for me to get up here and cry, but the truth is, this is the reserved me, because I'm a dad. You have a father. An Abba Father who loves you more than what you can possibly imagine. Parents, you think about how much you love your kids and then you multiply it by infinity. And then you have the very beginning of an understanding of how much your Heavenly Father loves you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. For loving us, for sending your son to die for us. God, I pray for those who are here this weekend that have a picture of you that's something other than what I've described, something that's not really biblical. Maybe it's been distorted by some experience in their past, someone that's hurt them or something that's happened. They have a tough time trusting. God, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would help us to truly know you and trust you as our Heavenly Father and to know that our Father knows best and loves us most and you are looking out for us. God, I pray that each one of us would hear what Jesus heard at his baptism. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. God, I pray that right now, that with our hearts, we would hear you say, this is my son, this is my daughter, in whom I am well pleased. Not because of anything we've done, but simply because we've responded to what you have already done for us.
And so, Father, we love you and thank you for the adoption that is ours. And God, thank you for those today that will receive the Lord Jesus and in that moment will be adopted into your family, be born again, and become the children of God. In Jesus' name, amen.